The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Excited that you guys are here tonight. For those of you um, that don't know me, my name is Janie. I'm one of the people who is lucky enough to be on staff here. And um, something that uh, I feel privileged to be able to do. So I thank you for being with us here tonight. And we want to welcome all of you here. And I want to take a poll, my first polling question. How many of you have smartphones? Raise your hand if you have a smartphone. All right, I want you to keep your hand in the air. Keep your hand in the air if you have a smartphone, and I want you to put your hand down if you don't have it with you here tonight. All right, so pretty much most of the people in the room, majority of the people have a smartphone, um, and most of you have it with you. I have one. It's uh, the Samsung Conquer. Oh, I have a text. Oh, that's exciting. Um, Samsung Conquer, it's top-of-the-line smartphone. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but uh, it's pretty awesome. Um, and I've had this phone for about two years now, um, and I, let's see, about a month after getting it, I wanted a new one. I wanted a different one, because this one seemed kind of antiquated and out of date. I don't know if you guys have experienced that before, but we have, uh, I have a commercial I want to show you that kind of demonstrates this experience that we have with um, technology. It is the newest, even newer. Oh. Everything else is obsolete. I just bought this one. What the? Baby. Oh, whoa, wait. Oh, 4D TV? Stupid. You got the wrong TV, silly head. I love that little girl. You bought the wrong TV, silly head. That's how we feel a lot of the time when it comes to technology. Um, and that's actually what we're going to talk about tonight is technology. If you've been here um, for the last couple of weeks, we're in a series called Strong Opinion, Stronger Faith. And we're looking at disputable matters. And we would say here at the end, there are only a few things that followers of Jesus all share as their beliefs. Stuff like God created the universe and we were created in God's image we have a broken relationship with God, and Jesus' death on the cross provided what provides us with reconciliation with God. Outside of those and maybe a few other things, there aren't a ton of things that all followers of Jesus are going to share. Um, and for pretty much everything else, including how we live our day-to-day lives, there's disputable matters. People are kind of all over the spectrum on what they think. And people can use, they use biblical authority, they use traditional Christian um, experience, they use morality, ethics in order to kind of back up what they believe. And that we've used Romans 14, which um, Paul wrote a bunch of letters to churches that um, started at the beginning um, after Jesus' death. And most of the letters he wrote were helping people settle disputable matters. People disagreed, and Paul tried to help them in the midst of their disagree- disagreements. And Romans 14, he's trying to help guide Christians by saying, um, Existing in community, you can exist in community and disagree. You need to consider how does my convictions, my opinion, is it a stumbling block to another person? So the most important question might not be what is right or what is wrong, but what is loving? 
So far, we've looked at alcohol and money, two topics that I think are pretty important for college students to consider what your convictions are, um, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus. But remember, our goal of this series is not tell you everything that you need to know in order for you to make the decision. I mean, that would just take way too long. What we want to do is start a conversation. We want you to consider what where you stand, what your convictions are, and continue the conversation outside of this room and make um, explore things on your own. So tonight, as I said, I'm going to be exploring something that's a little bit different, the use of technology in everyday life. Now, I recognize as I say that, I can see all the thought bubbles above your heads going, what? How is that a disputable matter? I don't understand. Like, what does the Bible say about technology? And that's the thing. Not a whole lot. But think about this. Has this happened to you? You're with friends, you're hanging out, and you take a picture on your phone with Instagram, and then you upload it to your Facebook page so that a thousand of your friends can actually see it at the same time that you're experiencing what is happening. I mean, that is strange, right? The, and you look, you'll look at the Facebook page, you'll look at your photo, and you'll think, oh, look at us. Remember that? Where do the seconds go, right? It's a crazy experience. <laughs> Um, that's Dimitri Martin, by the way, I won't claim that. But it's this crazy meta experience that we, other people are seeing what we're doing in real time while we're doing it. This is unprecedented. Now, I want to make a disclaimer. I recognize that we are privileged people that we get to talk about this. I mean, in the grand scheme of what is happening in the world with famine and poverty and war, it seems a little ridiculous that I'm preaching a sermon on, oh, technology, it makes our lives so much easier and so much harder at the same time. It seems a little ridiculous, but but it is altering the landscape of how we live our lives every single day and how our faith interacts with our lives. So I think we have to take a look at it. So that's why I wanted um, this to be a topic. So what's the debate, right? What's the spectrum of belief? What's the disputable matter? So on one end of the spectrum, you have this group of Christians who say, you should reject all technology because they want to remove themselves from culture, from the sinful society that we live in. So they sequester themselves and have their own communities without technology. And they might use something like Romans 12.2 as a reason why they think... um, We should do it. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You need to remove yourself from the patterns of this world so that you can know God's will. So an extreme example of this would be the Amish, right? The reason they reject technology is because it's an interpretation of how they follow Jesus. On the other end of the spectrum are Christians that are early adopters, People who, as soon as technology about comes out, latest and greatest, they want they want to um, have the newest, hippest thing in order to be relevant in spreading the gospel. They might use Paul's message to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 9, um, this is what Paul says to the believers there. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law, To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Right? The reason we should adopt technology and culture is because that's what our culture does and that's the way we're going to save people. Um, 
examples of this would be like pastors tweeting, right? Using technology to do that. Or satellite churches. The person who's preaching to you is not present in the room. They're on a screen. Um, or the millions of people who write and read blogs about following your faith. An extreme example are virtual churches, right? Churches that only exist online. And I, I Googled this, and um, I thought there'd be only a couple, but there are a ton. Virtualchurch.com, avirtualchurch.com, thevirtualchurch.com, virtualchurch.org. That's just, I mean, that's not even all of them. That's just the words virtual church. I was talking to a colleague who graduated from seminary <clears throat> recently, the same one that I went to, but she said a, uh, a debate they had in one of their systematic theology classes was, um, you guys know what second life is? So people live this entire virtual life called second life. It looks kind of like the real world, but you can like fly and stuff. Um, and their debate was, does administering communion in second life, is it the same thing as doing it in real life? Theologically. They had this conversation, which, I mean, these things might, these extremes might sound really strange to us, but you need to consider how do you feel about it? Do you think you should, we should totally embrace technology? Do you think that we should completely reject it? Those are things that we need to think about when it comes to how we interact in our Christian journey. Now, clearly, our community here at the inn is somewhere in the middle. We don't totally reject technology because we use computers and projectors in this space. We don't totally embrace it because we are here in the flesh. We're not totally online or something. Now, I'm not some out-of-touch old lady because, I mean, I have a Samsung Conquer, you guys. <laughs> I have a smartphone. I read Twitter. Um, I'm not going to say we need to throw away our phones and stomp on them. We need to shut down your Facebook page. That's not what I'm going to say. But the reason that I want to bring this up is we have to acknowledge our world is moving so fast. I mean, it's ridiculous. Technology is out of date as soon as we get it, and it's hard to keep up. It's to the point where we are not out of contact for a fraction of a moment. And that is a brand new reality. I would say it's so fast that we haven't stopped to consider what are the ramifications, right? We just kind of adopt whatever's the next thing because we think this makes my life easier. It makes it simpler. I can connect more people, so obviously I should use it. But we need to stop and ask, is this a good thing that we're doing? So let's look at what Paul says um, in a couple of places, again, where he's trying to help people figure out disagreements. And for, in Corinthians, he's trying to help people figure out, should we eat food sacrificed to idols or should we not eat food sacrificed to idols? And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, um, starting at verse 23. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Now, just because something exists does not mean that it is a beneficial thing to do. doesn't mean that it's constructive. And he goes on to say that there's a question that we need to consider when we do everything, and that is, does it glorify God? He goes on in um, verse 31 of 1 Corinthians to say, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Right? Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, my guess is we rarely think about checking Facebook or Snapchatting to the glory of God. That's my guess. Maybe sometimes. 
And then finally, in the book of Galatians, Paul says we need to think about this in how we act toward one another. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Are we using our freedom in the technology that we have and all the freedom it provides us, are we using it to love one another? Or are we using it to indulge our own desires? Okay, so your lives as college students, from what I've observed, your day-to-day life, even your moment-by-moment relationship with technology is mainly through your phone and Facebook. And really, that's for most people, it's the same thing because you look at Facebook through your phone. It's kind of cute we still call this tiny computer that we put in our pocket a phone because we use it for that, but that's pretty minimal about how much we use it. So I'm mainly talking about your relationship with with those things, social media and your phone. But I also could just as easily be talking about Twitter, Instagram, um, Snapchat, Pinterest, Tumblr, online gaming. Obviously, there are so many ways that we engage with technology in our everyday life. But because being connected is so much a part of our normal life, there is a ginormous amount of scientific research and sociological research out there, articles written about the impact it's having, especially phones and Facebook. Because one in 13 people on planet Earth has a Facebook page. There's 7 billion people in the world. One in 13, that is a lot of people, considering there's a lot of people who don't have electricity, right? So the average college student has six electronic devices. This includes computers, tablets, phones, and spends an average of close to 11 and a half hours a day on those devices. Now, granted, a lot of that is doing schoolwork, right? You're on your computer because you're writing a paper. Or you're on a maybe an e-reader because you're reading a textbook. Now, the average person, not just college student, but the average person spends or looks at their phone 150 times a day. That's a lot. Now, granted, that's an average. Some people are more than that. Some people are a lot less. So if you take a 17-hour day that we're awake, that means during the time that we're at the end of night, then you're checking your phone between eight and nine times. As someone who spends a lot of time talking in front of you, I can say, yeah, that's probably about right. (laughs) And not only that, a lot of people report feeling incredibly anxious, even as this technology is supposed to make their life easier. Similar to like an addict experiencing withdrawals. One article I read, a New York Times article from like a year ago, noted a research project that did brain scans to look at brain activity. And um, they would have a person's phone across the room and they would, the phone would do, make a sound it does when they had a notification. So they were doing this brain scan to figure out if it would activate their brain in the area that had to do with addiction. But what they discovered is that it activates the area of your brain that's connected to love and emotion. So we love our phones. Now, granted, I recognize part of this is because that our phones are tools to connect us to the people we love, but we're transferring that love to the actual object itself. And I think maybe we need to reevaluate. Maybe have a DTR with our phones. <laughs> it's not you, it's me. We need to talk. To me, that's scarier than an addiction. And this is not just um, sociology or scientific research. There's actually, this happens in normal life, too. This was a poster outside of a Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's concert um, just recently. Here's what they posted. Please do not watch the show through a screen on your smart device camera. Put that away. There's something else there, but we blocked it out. As a courtesy to the person behind you, 
So they're saying, put your phone away. This is a hit band, right? And they're like, we don't want you to watch our concert through your phone. And we also have never been more detached from one another or lonelier. 60% of Americans, 200 million people, report feeling extreme loneliness. And we're in this weird contradiction. The more connected we are, the lonelier we are. The more our lives are streamlined with computers and phones, the more anxious we are. It seems like an oxymoron. And I'm not saying there's a cause and effect, that we should point the finger at technology and be like, it's all technology's fault. Clearly, there's a lot of other things going on. Um, it would be sh- short-sighted to blame everything on technology. But considering the timing, there has to be some sort of connection that I think we need to look at. So let's ask some questions about technology in our faith. So I have three questions, and hopefully it will help you consider your relationship with technology in your own life, as well as what some of your convictions might be. So the first question is... Let's look at loneliness, this idea of increase in loneliness. So what impact is technology having on community? What is technology doing to community? There's no question that it is helping it in some ways. When we get a text because somebody wants to hang out with us, we are able to know that we can see them right away. And Facebook and Skype offer the ability to stay connected to people that we're separated from by distance. And it's a great tool. And if you're by yourself in some circumstance, like studying abroad, you don't have a community around you, but it might give you the opportunity to stay connected um, when you don't have a community. However, when the technology becomes the community, as opposed to a tool, we've lost something. When TJ was talking about being vulnerable in the time they had in Malibu, I don't know if we would be able to do that without being together. A simple example, when you're in the same room with other people, and I'm guilty of this, have you ever looked around and seen that everybody is on their own individual phone? Like, uh, I think I saw this on Twitter, actually. A comedian said, I'm so glad I finally got a phone because I'm so tired of just staring at my palm all the time. <laughs> Which, if you see, but like, if you're in a room with people looking at their phone, just pretend there's no phone. It looks really funny. Everybody's just kind of like this. <laughs> now, I'm not saying it's right or wrong saying this is a reality that we should ask. Is this loving? The Amish, who I mentioned before, they're a group of followers who reject technology in the way that they follow Jesus. Um, And they ask this question. Now, I'm not an expert, but I've learned a lot about faith from looking into how the Amish live. And the question that they always ask when they're considering adopting a new technology, because they do sometimes, is, will this promote community? Or will it hinder it? And if the answer is no, it won't promote community, they reject it. That's why they don't drive cars. That's why they have very few telephones, because they recognize it it would be so easy to be secretive, to be overly self-involved, to be individualistic if we embrace those technologies to the detriment of everybody else. I'm not saying we should all go put on black and wear bonnets and become Amish. I can do that. I watch way too much television, and I like Twitter too much. So... I'm not going to be able to do that. But I wonder if we asked the same question, if our behavior would change. If we asked, will this promote community? And wondered about Paul's words, everything is permissible, but is it all beneficial? The last thing I want to say about the interaction of community um, and technology is how it interacts with the gospel. For me, one of the most exciting, compelling, amazing things about the gospel is the reality of the incarnation. 
which means that God took on flesh and came to earth in the person of Jesus. Jesus is God with skin on, flesh and bone, and he lived in community with other people. Now, we don't get to experience the person of Jesus, but one of the ways, most amazing ways that we get to experience the incarnation is actually by being together in community, by the Jesus in me connecting with the Jesus in you. Yes, we can be connected through technology, but can we be bonded? Or the Holy Spirit can be in our midst. The second question I have about technology is how nonstop it is. Our society has been 24-7 for decades. That's not new. But I think that our individual lives have come into this rhythm of 24-7 that was never God's intention. And what I'm talking about is lacking Sabbath rest. Now, I know as soon as I start talking about Sabbath, you're going to, you know, shut your ears and say, why are you talking about Sabbath? We're not Jewish. We don't work a six-day week. We don't have 24 hours to pray and not flip light switches or whatever it is we have to do to keep the Sabbath holy. But in Hebrew, the word Sabbath actually simply means stop. Stop. It's not some holy word that we're supposed to whisper, Sabbath. It just means stop from the chaos and the craziness of your everyday life. Stop and rest. It's a gift that God wants to give us. It's one of the Ten Commandments. God created the earth in six days, and then he rested. Let's look at Deuteronomy 5 and what it says about the Sabbath. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest, as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, as we read this, we, re- we might think, oh, that's not for us. We don't um, have any oxen to rest, Janie, so I don't really know how to do that. But just like all the commandments, it's for us. It's for our present as well. And frankly, it's not only the commandment we break all the time, it's the commandment we brag about breaking. Oh my gosh, my life has been so crazy busy. I don't have time to eat or sleep. It's just insane. We would never say that about breaking other commandments. Oh my gosh, you guys, this weekend was crazy. I committed adultery four times, I stole from my roommate, and then I dishonored my parents. Did you know that keep the Sabbath is the most repeated commandment in all of Scripture? And in, Deuter- in that Deuteronomy verse, why? Why are we called to keep the Sabbath? To remember, you were slaves, and you are now set free. It's not a burden, it's a blessing that God wants to give us. Letting go of bondage, letting go of what we're slaves to. Now, whether you consider yourself someone who is the God of your phone, right? Or you consider yourself who is a slave to it, either way, you need to take time to rest from it. Because we don't stop. We don't take time to rest and celebrate our freedom, and we are missing the most basic way that we are created in God's image. Some of the positive outcomes of taking time for a Sabbath. 
It reminds you that God is God and you are not. If you avoid checking that text that comes in, you recognize, wow, I'm not as important. I'm not as important as I thought I was, which can be incredibly freeing. You get to see and experience trusting God directly by praying and journaling, maybe, or indirectly by spending time with people that you love spending time with. And I would say your time of rest should not involve technology. It should not involve screens. And you shouldn't just silence your phone. You should turn it off. When people talk about their mission trip experiences, one of the things they note more than anything else is that they uh, love the fact that they didn't have their phones. Because constant connection through technology denies us of the greatest pleasure of Sabbath. And that is we can stop thinking about ourselves for a while. Now, this might be confusing, might be overwhelming, but this, I hope, will just start the conversation about Sabbath rest as something you might consider doing. And it doesn't have to be 24 hours. I would say take four hours out of your week. Schedule a time to take rest. Um, And we've come up with this take it home that we want you to take on your way out and ideas of how you can actually practice Sabbath in your life and and what it might look like. The most important thing I want you to hear is this is... um, These are some of the questions you can ask about taking a Sabbath. Does it promote rest? Does it bring me joy? Does it give me a sense of God? The most important thing I want you to hear is this shouldn't be a burden. I don't want you to feel guilty and think, oh, this is another thing. Thanks. That's great. Another thing to add to my to-do list. This is a gift. Eugene Peterson says, with Sabbath, you can't talk about time to pray without talking about time to play doing something that brings you joy, to celebrate the freedom that God has given you from the bondage that we have in this world. Consider scheduling time in your week to turn off technology and practice a healthier rhythm of rest in your life. The final question, and then I'll shut up, about our relationship to technology is how does it impact your ability to be content. I would say contentment is being comfortable in your own skin, being comfortable in exactly who God created you to be, no more, no less. A common critique I hear of Facebook is, oh, everybody just presents the best version of their lives on there, pictures of themselves having amazing experiences without all the bad stuff. Or it's just a place where people complain, right? They just go to compete for who has the worst situation. But I don't think that's a new thing. I mean, that's just who we are as human beings. We have always presented the best version of ourselves to the world. And I think that we will complain until the end of time. Both those things happened way before Zuckerberg was born, let alone started Facebook. But the difference with the onset of technology like Facebook is the constancy of performance it demands. Relentless, right? More than half the people your age check Facebook first thing when they get up in the morning, before they even get out of bed, before they take a shower. It's the first thing that they do. It demands constant performance. And this new relentlessness is causing us to compare ourselves. It's causing us to pretend. We are thinking about ourselves and how we present ourselves to the world all of the time without really thinking about who we are. Now, this might be the most important place where our faith intersects with technology because 
too often what we do is we continue that pretending with our relationship with God and with our relationship with one another. And Jesus says, no. No more pretending. I want you to bring your whole self. I want you to bring the stuff that you hide, the stuff that you're embarrassed about, the stuff that you do not want people to see, stuff that you feel like you have to pretend about. I want you to bring that to me, not just the good parts. I want your junk. I want your sin. I want your brokenness. I want your shame. I want everything that you cover up. And what I want to give back is real too. I want to give you love. I want to give you grace and forgiveness and truth that you are who I created you to be. Jesus says, I want you to bring your whole self, your complete self to community. Jesus says, I want you to bring your whole self, your broken self to rest. Jesus says, I want you to bring your whole self, your most insecure self, to the contentment that only I can provide. He says, to, he says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. God, we want to stop pretending. We want to know what it looks like to be content in you and in you alone, to be exactly who you created us to be. And we pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment on how we interact with all of the wonderful things this world has to offer, God. We want to use it for your glory. We want to use it to value one another in relationship. And we want to use it in a way that is loving. Give us your grace. Give us your truth. Show us how we can be real with you and one another. In your holy name, amen.